2, and take out your notes, you're going to need those today. Acts chapter 2. What comes to your mind when I say the church? Good or bad? Positive or negative in terms of experiences in a church? Unfortunately, many might be like the man who said, I hope the only time that I have to be in church is when they sprinkle water on me, infant baptism, and when they sprinkle rice or birdseed on me at my wedding. To which his friend replied, well, there's going to be a third time when they sprinkle dirt on you at your funeral. Well, whatever your view of the church today, I can tell you God's view is very positive because we're talking about his bride the wife of God. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. The Bible says that God purchased his bride with the blood of his son. You determine something's value based on how much it costs and how long it lasts. The church costs God the blood of his son, and she will last for all of eternity. So she's pretty valuable. So whether your experiences in a local church have been good or bad, God's view of the church is very positive. It is His bride. And I pray that in this next series that we're doing right now, the month of August is going to be devoted to Acts 2, verses 41 to 47. And we're going to tear apart what are the ingredients in a true church. It was St. Augustine who said he valued the church so much in the 4th century that St. Augustine said he cannot have God as his father if you do not have the church as your mother. Because when you come to God as your father, when you repent of your sins and you're saved and redeemed and forgiven, at that moment, not only do you begin a relationship with God and you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you're forgiven of all your sins and you're given a new name, but you're given a new family. You are immediately placed into the body of Christ. Some are a hand, some are an ear, some are a toe, some are an eye. We are different parts of the body, but we are all part of the body of Christ called the church. So you have the church universal and you have the church local. Church universal is God's people everywhere. China, Indonesia, all the places on that map right there where there are true followers of Jesus Christ, they are a part of the same church that you and I are a part of. And praise God, in heaven we will be there with every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. All the redeemed will be with God in heaven. So there's the church universal, and then there's the church local, which of course Living Hope Church is. Chuck Colson in his book, The Body, which I highly recommend, he says if we don't grasp the intrinsically corporate, not just individual, but corporate nature of Christianity embodied in the church, then we are missing the very heart of Jesus' plan. In other words, Jesus' plan is for you and I to have a personal been neglected. Maybe you've had bad experiences with the body of Christ. Well, guess what? Welcome to Christianity. Because that's going to happen to every person. And it's a lot like a marriage. If a person goes into a marriage thinking that it's all lovey-dovey and everything goes great and it's, it's all about the emotional highs and, and that's all they think that a marriage is about, well, guess what? About, 20, about two minutes into the marriage, or at least two hours, if not two days, two weeks, there will be what? Conflict. And I love what Pastor Jimmy used to say about marriage. It is the greatest tool for sanctification God invented. <laughs> he said it's like a mirror. You see who you really are. It exposes your sin and selfishness and pride. 
but that's exactly what God intended it to be. That person who's going to be the closest to you, if you're married, is going to expose your sin, your selfishness, and your pride. But through it, if you cooperate with that process, you can become more like Jesus. In the same way, our interaction with people in the body of Christ will involve difficulty, conflict. But through it, if we don't cut and run, which many do, unfortunately, hang in there. Seek the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit do that refining process, that pruning process. Hello, John 15. He will prune the vine that it may bear more fruit. And so through that pruning and through that refining comes sanctification and greater spiritual maturity. So let's stand as I read Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. These will be the verses that we will focus on for the next four Sundays. And it really gives us the ingredients in a healthy, true church. We're calling this the true church, the real community. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together. Say together. And breaking bread in their homes. We're going to be launching home groups in late August, early September. They received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Repeat after me. God is who he says he is. I am who he says I am. God's word is true. I believe it. With God's help, I will live it. So, Father, we pray that through this series and through the understanding of your holy word, you would make us at Living Hope Church more a church that's in line with what you desire her to be, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to cover about five of these characteristics. You can be seated. But over the next month, we will cover, there'll be at least 10 that we're going to flesh out. I think I'll get through four or five today. And the first is this What is a true church? Well, first of all, a true church embraces the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message. What is that message? Well, it's the message that Peter just preached on the day of Pentecost. And it's the message of Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And if you go through just the first eight chapters of Acts, and I encourage you to do that this week, notice how many times the gospel is preached. They're defending the gospel by going back to the Old Testament. Look, the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament, this is the one. Jesus is the one. He died. He rose again. He shed his blood for our sins. That is the gospel, my friends. And it's sad that we have to remind ourselves of what the gospel is today. It should be assumed by everyone, but it's not. Many false gospels are being preached in many churches today. Gospels of works, gospels of religion, gospel of universalism, you name it. But in the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. His blood shed is the only means whereby we can be forgiven of our sins, reconciled to God, declared righteous in His sight. So the message that was being preached by Peter was specifically His death 
His burial, His resurrection, His being the Messiah, His being the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, His being the means whereby we can be forgiven and saved. Hallelujah be to God. Romans 10 and 13 said, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from selfishness. Saved from hell. Saved from Satan. Saved from shame, saved from condemnation, saved from an eternity separated from God. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. He came and he lived and he performed miracles and he died. He took your sin upon himself. He bore the wrath of God. He endured the suffering that we should go through, but he took it for us. It's called substitutionary atonement. He atoned for our sins. He was substituted for us. We should have been on the cross. We should have died. But Christ died for us. And it's good news because all you and I have to do to have it is receive it by repentance and faith in Him. We repent of our sins. We turn from a self-centered, self-directed life. We put our trust and faith in Christ alone. We receive Him in our lives. We give Him our heart as we've sung about today. And the Bible says He promises to come in. And at that moment, you begin a living, dynamic, eternal relationship with a living God, and it's made possible by Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Do you know it? Have you received it? Do you know today that your sins are forgiven? Have you received the message that's spoken of here? Can you share it with somebody? Do you know it well enough to sit down with somebody and share with them how to be saved? How to be reconciled with God. This is the greatest news ever given to humankind. Is the good news of Jesus Christ. His love for you. His death for you. His resurrection for you. His ascension for you. This is the good news of the gospel that founded the church. That the church is grounded upon. And that we will stand on forever. The Good news of the gospel of Jesus. You know we talked this week. I, I had my yearly eye exam. And what do we all want? 20-20 vision, right? Whether you need corrective lenses or not, that's what you're after, 20-20 vision. Well, I submit that we need 20-20 gospel vision. So turn to Acts 20, verse 20. This will help you remember this. If you want to know the, the, uh, what we need to do to be saved, it's given to us, Acts 20-20 gospel vision. Acts 20, verse 20 says this. How it did not shrink from declaring conversion. Not the other way around. This is why I believe that infant baptism is not biblical. Notice that it was immediate. It was immediately after they received Christ. There wasn't a waiting around. There wasn't a, 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 a well, let's, let's see if you know, the person exhibits great fruit over a two to three year period. It was immediately. It was so close to their conversion that Some have even said it's necessary for salvation. I don't hold to that belief, but I understand why they take that view. Because it was believe, baptize. Boom, believe, baptize. I was raised in a denomination that practices infant baptism. When I got to college, soon after I received Christ in my senior year in high school, I come to college and, and man, miracles, signs, and wonders. Unbelievable stuff happening and it started just because a missionary simply asked this guy to read the bible just read the word he just encouraged him to read the word and through the power of the word of god he gets radically saved 
goes through incredible persecution, but sees a lot of miracles, and it's just a powerful podcast. But in that podcast, he was wrestling with baptism, and one, one missionary was of a denominational persuasion that would say infant baptism, and another missionary was of the biblical persuasion of what we call believer's baptism, after you get saved, but they decided together they wouldn't share their personal views. They say, read the Bible. Just read the Word. What does the Word say? He came to the conclusion, just like I did, that this is to be after you're saved, not before. And furthermore, baptizing people before they have the ability to repent and believe, I believe, is extremely misleading because then they're, they're assuming that they commanded the chariot to stop. They went down into the water, full immersion, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Again, I submit to you, is this before or after a person is saved? Acts chapter 9, verse 18. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. This is when Saul gets converted and becomes Paul. And he regained his sight, and he rose and was baptized. It was just assumed this is the next thing you do as a follower of Jesus. It's like a wedding ring. Charlie and Sage... That wedding ring doesn't make you married. You're married whether you have a ring or not. But the ring shows others. <laughs> it's an outward sign of an inward change, isn't it? You wear it proudly. Let's just do one more. And this is the one that I think is the best verse to use if somebody says you have to be baptized to be saved. Acts 10.47. This refutes that clearly. Actually, start at 44. 10.44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers, okay, that's saved, right? From among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Are those people, are those Gentiles saved or not saved? Yes, clearly saved and even giving evidence of it by manifesting some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter declared... Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have, past tense, received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So people that say you're not saved till you're baptized, well, clearly these people were saved and they weren't baptized, but baptism was the very next step of obedience that they did. And he commanded them. That's strong language. Not suggesting, not like, oh, when you get around to it, when it's convenient. But he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain on a few days. So if you want more information on this, on my website, and also in the back there, I've written a little pamphlet called Biblical Baptism. But I encourage you to look at what the Word of God says. And if you have not been baptized since you've received Christ in your life, you need to be baptized. It's an important step of obedience. Maybe today, maybe today, God's going to lead you to be baptized. You say, well, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't dress appropriately. Is it more important to be dressed appropriately or to obey God? I was, with my, I was preaching at my brother's church about two months ago, and one of, these, one of the guys in his church came up to me. He was so proud to share his story with me. He said, Pastor David, man, let me tell you about my baptism. I got saved, I got, I, I've been a saved for years, but it never hit me that I needed to be baptized until your brother preached on this. And, and he said, I got baptized in my street clothes right there that Sunday, and I went home in my car wet. And it was the most awesome ride home I've ever had. So maybe some of you today, God's going to call you, and I invite you. We're going we're to invite spontaneous baptisms today.
So, by the way, we do have two that are already prepared. So y'all come on up, get ready. I'm excited that today we're going to celebrate two baptisms right in the middle of the sermon. What better way to do it than right after we've seen what the Word of God says. And if today the Holy Spirit is moving you and you're convicted. Now, if you want to take this week and pray about it, fine. Listen, we will fill this tank anytime, anyhow, anywhere, under any circumstances, if somebody wants to be baptized. And so if you're ready today, we welcome you. But if you want to wait till next week, just let us know then. So Ariel, come on, get on in. Yeah, you're going to be first. Yeah. You know, I met with Ariel, Stephanie and I met with Ariel uh, about a week ago and heard her journey and heard her story. And it's just so exciting to see what God's doing in her life. And matter of fact, she rededicated her life the Sunday. If you remember the Sunday that in the middle of worship, uh, Jonathan Kilgore just felt led of the Spirit to call up anybody that wanted to rededicate their life to the Lord. And you just practically ran to the front. You were the first to respond that morning. And Ariel, have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And do you commit to following him all the days of your life? All the days. Amen. She said, <laughs> said to me on Wednesday night, no turning back. No turning back. Rest in peace to the old life. Amen. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Woo. Anything else you want to say? Uh, just, um, just like we sang in that song, giving everything to him. That's, um, Amen. Amen. Angela, you're going to do the honors. So, Ariel, it is my privilege on your public testimony of faith in Christ to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yes. Look at that, Ariel. The body of Christ celebrating with you. Amen. And you know, one of the powerful things, y'all go ahead and get ready. One of the powerful things about baptism, and you've heard me say this many times, but it's such an amazing picture of the gospel. The water cleanses us. We know that we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. When a person goes under, and I love that she said, rest in peace, the old life. That when you go under, you are dead to the old. It's, it's a representation that when we died, we die to the old. We receive a new nature, so you come out of the water. And it shows that we are raised to newness of life. What does 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 say? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. It's just such a great picture of the gospel. Jonathan? Oh, this is Casey, and he is amazing. And he's a great part of the youth group. Do you want to share why you're getting baptized today? Uh, I had this summer baptized this summer. I rededicated my life to Jesus, and I just wanted to, like, make it official. Yeah. All right. Hey, man, I love that. I want to make it official. Uh, I've never heard that language used, but that is a great purpose of baptism. Is that, man, this, this kind of makes our salvation official. It publicly declares it, and, uh, and I've seen God bless baptism so much when people are obedient. So I love the way you just phrase that. 
You know, I'm proud of you. I know your mom and dad and everybody's real proud of you. Thank you for being part of the youth group and just coming around. Do you purpose in your heart, do you choose to follow Jesus all the days of your life? Yeah. Okay. It is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Okay, I'm going to give you another chance at the end of the service. But anybody else right now, you just know God's calling you to be baptized. All right. If that changes, while we take communion... You come up and see me on the front row, and we'll put you in at the end of the service. So the second ingredient of a true church, according to Acts 2, which is where we have this amazing record of this newly birthed body of Christ, what, what is called traditionally the early church, the first century church. And this is the pattern. What, what we have in these verses is, a, is an amazing pattern that we can follow today. We preach the gospel here. We believe the gospel here. May God give us the grace to never deviate from the gospel here at Living Hope. Regardless of the culture, hello, the gospel doesn't change. Regardless of what the society will say as what's morally right and wrong, we do not deviate from the word of God because it doesn't change and we're eternally accountable to it. Secondly, they celebrate baptisms. When people get saved, they're encouraged to follow the Lord in baptism. And we've just seen two of those. The third ingredient in a true church is devoted to the Word of God. Oh, beloved, I'm very passionate about this. This is why I preach through books of the Bible. May God give us the grace to never deviate from the Word of God at Living Hope. Our values, our doctrine, our beliefs, our practices must be grounded, must be based upon the Word of God. It says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. First of all, devoted themselves is a Greek word that means deeply committed to. All of these ingredients that now follow, it says they were devoted to. They were committed to these things. It was important to them. They didn't just do them when it was convenient. Hello. They didn't just fellowship when the kids didn't have a sports event. Hello. They didn't gather as, as believers in church just when something else better wasn't on their calendar. Or, or they didn't, you know, put being out on the lake, fishing, hunting, other things more important than these matters. They devoted themselves. Matter of fact, it says they gathered daily. And in this case, it was to the Word of God. The apostles' teaching. What was happening at this point is the apostles were, first of all, preaching the Old Testament because that was, always, that was already understood as the divinely inspired Word of God. And if you look at some of the sermons in, in the book of Acts, you'll see that they preached the Old Testament. They defended Jesus' deity and Messiahship and especially His resurrection by preaching the Old Testament. But then as they wrote the letters that we now have as the New Testament... The apostles' teaching essentially became what we have as our New Testament. <laughs> and 
And so they were deeply devoted to the Word of God. Listen, over and over, we see how important the Word of God is. Listen with your heart right now. 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. 1 Peter 2 and 2 says, As a newborn baby longs for the pure milk of the Word, that by it he may grow in respect to salvation. 1 John chapter 2 and 12 says, The young man abides in the Word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Paul told Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man or woman who meditates on the word day and night, for they will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119 also says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is where we learn about God. The word of God is where we learn about Jesus. The word of God is where we learn about the true gospel. The word of God is where we learn about our identity in Christ. The word of God is where we learn about the Holy Spirit. The word of God is where we learn about finances. The word of God is where we learn about marriage and parenting and everything we need for life and godliness. It is found in the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the the word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6 says take up the full armor of God, which is the word of God. Oh, I cannot stress enough how important the word is. Are you in the word? Are you in the word daily? Are you meditating on the word? Are you memorizing scripture? Are you studying the word? Are you listening to the word? Listen, when you... Base your life on the Word of God and you begin to replace lies with truth from God's Word. He blesses. He enhances your life. He gives you a renewed strength. You become more closer to Him because you're in the Word. But the individual who deviates from the Word begins to drift. The family that deviates from the Word begins to drift. The church that deviates from the word begins to go downhill. The, the, the society that deviates from the word, which America is doing increasingly, unfortunately, just begins to drift and go downhill. But the individual who, ble- who, who is in the word is blessed. The family that's in the word is blessed. The marriage that's in the word is blessed. The church that's in the word is blessed. The culture that's in the word is blessed. The word of God is so important to our growth. Number four is that a true church engages in relational connection. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now this one we're going to be developing more and more throughout the month. Matter of fact, this point will probably find its way in different other points in various ways. So I'm just going to be more general today, kind of scratch the surface. But basically, we see immediately this idea of fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia, which means a connection on a very close, intimate basis. It's not just a, hey, how you doing on a Sunday morning, but having no other real connection. No, it's relationships that are connected in a very intimate, close way. It's a a sharing of life. The Bible speaks of the importance of fellowship. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's 52 passages that use the word one another in the New Testament. Encourage one another, exhort one another, admonish one another. 
bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, on and on, all the one another's. But there's one passage that I want you to particularly look at, and it's Hebrews chapter 10. So turn there, please. Hebrews chapter 10 is a strong passage about how important it is that we gather together regularly, that we connect with one another. Again, more than just a, hello, how you doing on a sunny morning, and that's all there is. And this is one of the reasons why we are going to be going to a very important kind of shift in our strategy as a church. And that is these geographical home groups, which will start at the end of the month, early September. Because we want to to, to really live this out. And in Hebrews chapter 10, if you notice in verses 24 and 25. And by the way, this is after the whole section up above, which basically just clarifies the gospel. That we can enter boldly to the throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. So coming out of the gospel, which is again the, the vertical, us and Jesus... Now we go to the horizontal. Remember the two greatest commandments, love God, love others. So here comes the love others part. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So they had a problem with individualism back then, just like today. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see what? The day drawing near. Sean, that's what we sang about today, right? Getting ready. Getting ready for the return of Christ. That's the day of His second coming. So how do you make sure you're ready for His return? You keep an intimate, close relationship with God, and you have a relationship with others that encourage you, that support you. But as we said earlier, will there be conflict? Yes. And you are to grow through that, which is why I love this quote by Rick Warren in the book, The Purpose Driven Life. God wants us to be in regular, close fellowship with other believers so you can develop the skill of loving. Love cannot be learned in isolation. You have to be around people, irritating, imperfect, frustrating people. Isn't that good? We got to have the correct expectations. So I'm going to do something kind of weird, and we're only going to have a few minutes for this, but I'm just going to, if if you've had a positive experience, especially here at Living Hope, but it could be at another church as well, in terms of relational connection, I'm going to invite you to come up real quick and just give a a, a 30-second testimony, because I think we need to be encouraged as to how the body of Christ can be an encouraging experience. So if, if if there's somebody here that has one of those, yeah, just super quick, love it. Super quick. Um... Being a black woman, coming into an environment with a lot of different people was hard for me. Mm-hmm. I walked into rooms, felt uncomfortable, looked around, said, it's only me in here. But in reality, it was my brothers and sisters in the room. And I thank God for that because it changed my perspective on the body of Christ. So I was able to feel comfortable in my skin and also knowing that those were my brothers and sisters. Love it. Love it. Wow. So um, our family moved here from Oregon in April of 2021, and we left a home church that we had been involved in for 10, 12 years, and it was really hard, but we came here and we felt so loved and accepted. I've never been able to connect as easily as I have with everyone here, and so it's just been a beautiful experience, and I'm very thankful for that. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? 
Bill, I love it. I love this guy. <laughs> uh, I met, I met, I'm a member of Fresh Wind Ministries. I've been there almost two years now. Um, I met Pastor Hope. I was out there painting and digging in the driveway over there that you guys have re renovated. And I met him, and he came up, and he had this Georgia Bulldog shirt on. And he, he know I'm not a Bulldog fan, but that's something that's altogether different. But he embraced me, and he loved me. And then he put his hat, he put this Bulldog hat on my head and took a picture with me. That, that did something for me. Holy Ghost came all over Holy you, right Ghost. There. Amen. I love you, man. God bless you, brother. It's good he didn't mention the other team that he follows. Oh, this is good. Uh, so I came into this church and at a time pretty short after that, all of my best friends left and moved away. Um, and through the church and fellowship, I found three lifelong best friends um, that have helped shape me and mold me um, and even revolutionize how I parent and see life. So I'm really appreciative for that. Wow. All right. This is going to be the last one. I love it. I love it when I have to cut it off just due to time. But uh, we may do this every week. This would be a good little thing to do. I think everybody that knows us knows that the first year we attended, we drove over an hour each way to be here because of the relationships in this church. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. I just want to pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing to create this environment. And we pray that we would each be so sensitive to you to just kind of keep it going, build on it, make it stronger, especially these home groups, Lord, that you would put the right people in these groups. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the final one, the worship team can go ahead and come up, is participates in the Lord's Supper. It says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And it's the same phrase used in Luke 24, 35, when Jesus had raised from the dead and the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't yet recognize him. You remember that? And it says, as he broke the bread, their eyes were open. I love this. As he broke the bread, their eyes were open and they realized he was the Messiah. And I believe that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, which we are commanded to do on a regular basis, it opens our eyes increasingly to the reality of Jesus and the power of the gospel. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, it says that we are to partake regularly, and in so doing, what do we do? We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I have come in my own personal life to doing this almost on a daily basis. Many may think that it's you only do it when you're in church. No, I believe this is a practice that every believer should do on a regular basis on their own because it's a way of proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. It reminds us every day when we partake of the beauty and power of the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 10, it says that you participate. Same word used as fellowship in this passage. In 1 Corinthians 10, it's the word koinonia that when we partake of the bread and the juice, we participate in the body and blood of Christ. This is why I preached a few months ago, I believe in consubstantiation when it comes to how you interpret the elements, that it's more than a symbol. 
The presence of Christ is in, with, and under the elements, as Martin Luther said, and how you explain it is ultimately a mystery. And so today, we are at this point going to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is only for Christ followers. It's only for believers. It's only for those who take time, the Bible says, to examine yourself. And as I've prayed this week, I believe that God wants to do some works of healing today in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so our prayer team, and you are welcome to go ahead and come, prayer team and elders, you are welcome to go ahead and come, partake, so that you're ready to pray with people today who need prayer specifically for healing. Healing physically, healing emotionally, healing relationally, healing in whatever area. But I believe that there is healing power in the Lord's Supper when taken from a pure heart, when taken with a sincere heart of surrender and devotion to Jesus Christ. So if our prayer team and elders and others that are ready to pray with people, if you would go ahead and come, please, partake now so that you are then available on the sides to pray with anybody either before you partake or after you partake. But we are going to just have five or so minutes of just instrumental music so there's quietness, reflection, so that there can be good prayer going on as you partake. So what have we learned today? We've learned that the true church embraces the gospel. The true church celebrates baptisms. The true church is devoted to the word of God. The true church is about relational connection, even though it's going to mean messy stuff at times. And the true church celebrates the Lord's Supper. The phrase breaking of bread here probably is a reference to a meal together, but also to communion. And we'll be fleshing this out more in the weeks ahead about how the church gathered to eat together. And usually that meal included the Lord's Supper. And so we have the privilege today of doing what 1 Corinthians 11 says. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. After that, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and for many for the remission of sins. Drink it. And as we partake of the bread and drink the juice from a heart that's yielded to Jesus, I believe his presence, we partake in a mysterious but powerful way in the very presence of Christ. So God, now we just ask you to be powerfully present in this time. I pray the healing power of Jesus to go forth to those who need it today. God, I pray this will be a holy, sacred time we partake. Thank you for what this means. Thank you for all that this represents. Your body bruised, broken, flawed, crucified. Your blood shed. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. That you purchased your bride, the church, with your precious blood. We celebrate that now in Jesus' name. You come whenever you're ready. I encourage you today to maybe huddle up as families. Just huddle up and take together come and maybe circle up across the room if you see somebody that's by themselves maybe invite them in your little group how about we how about we try to partake in groups today as much as possible and just say to one another body of christ broken for you the blood of christ shed for you you come when you're ready